Okay, you ready? Yes. Hi, welcome to Tarzan <laughs> with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> I, 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 I thought you were getting murdered. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting for your wife to run into the room and say and ask what happens. Actually, I can hear her laughing in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't like there. I, I don't even know how you podcast after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Paul and I have a deep and abiding love for Tarzan. And yes. So Paul, I got to ask you, what's your first Tarzan? You know, for me, it was probably Greystoke, and I know that's that's. I mean, that, that's the earliest I remember. It is. It is. You know, I mean, I, I have since seen other Tarzans. I might have seen, you know, um, other Tarzans before. But the one I, I, I really remember um, was Greystoke. Uh, you know, and of course, like I said, since I've seen I've seen many others and gone back to, to some of the older films, as well as obviously many different interpretations in comic books and uh, cartoons. Yeah. But I, 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 I just that, that that's my that's my Tarzan, I would say. What about yeah. you? Uh, the the Grace the Greystoke Tarzan is just is really a fine film. I remember seeing that uh, I guess gosh when I was in junior high or something, and I, just, mm. I thought it was a fantastic film. Still do. I, it's one of those things that I'll watch when it comes back on. You know, I think my introduction to Tarzan was through my dad. My you know uh, my dad was of an age that you know he'd see you know, if you ever talk to my father about going to see a movie, he'd talk about how you could take a quarter, see. Uh, two matinees and a cartoon and still have money for, you know, soda and popcorn, right? Mm -hmm. my, my dad was that guy. <laughs> but, you know, he would, he loved the old Johnny Weissmuller Tarzans. Oh, yeah. Which, which were the Tarzans that I guess were made like in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Weismuller, Olympic athlete, you know, he's got, you know, we would call it a dad body today, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, those are the they would ran those on the local UHF channel on Saturday mornings, and so when I would stay at my my, my parents were divorced uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, and so when I'd be over at my dad's house on a Saturday morning, that's what we'd watch. You know, instead of watching cartoons or something, you know, dad would put on you know Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan, and so that was really kind of my first connection with Tarzan, and I think my next connection to Tarzan after that was the uh, Tarzan cartoon that was on in the 80s. Yes. And, and it was done by the same people that did that fantastic Flash Gordon cartoon. Uh, and I can't remember the, the production company. But uh, yeah, I, I, I know what I'm talk talking about. I, I don't right? remember the name of the, the production company. But, but it was yeah. a great cartoon. It was, you know, uh, it was almost, it was almost like had that that backshe sort of of uh, uh, movement where they I, almost, I don't think it was exactly this, and but they'd almost rotoscope it, right? Where mm -hmm. where a lot of the movements were very human. They weren't cartoon movements; they're almost very human movements. Uh, I just, I love that that cartoon, and you cannot get that cartoon on DVD, and it doesn't stream anywhere. In fact, no. I was looking on on Amazon. To see if I could just buy the series digitally, you know. Uh, and you Filmation was the production company. Filmation, right thank you. Um, but you can't. I mean, you can get that old Flash Gordon. I've got the complete series on DVD. 
But you can't get that Tarzan series. I, can't, I haven't been able to find it. I'm surprised they didn't, you know, release a cash in with the the current movie. You, I, you know, I would I, like anybody else. I would cash in when you've got a big movie coming out. You know, I'd just throw it here. Look, here's a ton of Tarzan for you, <laughs> you know. But yeah, that, that, those were my earliest encounters with Tarzan. And like I said, deep and abiding love for Tarzan. And, you know, Tarzan was my was my doorway into Edgar Rice Burroughs, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and, and thus John Carter. Um, I, I just I, I love the Edgar Rice Burroughs books and just love me some Tarzan. And I was thrilled this week. You know, following up to your comment about surprise, we didn't see a, a big release, you know, related to the movie. Uh, Dark Horse put their Tarzan books on sale this week on Comixology, and I bought all the archived editions of mm-hmm. of Tarzan. And so it's this fantastic Joe Kubert uh, writing and drawing Tarzan, and those books are amazing. And if you're reading the first story arc in that first volume of Joe Kubert stuff. It looks a whole lot like this movie we saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we continue on, I do want to mention that the filmation uh-huh. actually two weeks ago they released uh, the first season on DVD. Seriously, seriously. I I know what I'm doing. The minute we get off the, the in fact, if you could hold for a minute, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's only fifteen bucks. Yeah, but it, gonna, it is out now on DVD. I'm going to get over on my smile.amazon.com account and go. <laughs> <laughs> smile.amazon.com that's right have you not seen that you can uh if you're using the smile.amazon.com address they will give a portion of your of their proceeds to charity and you can choose the charity that they give it to oh nice and i i I buy a whole bunch of crap on amazon so why not have them give money to my alma mater so Mm -hmm. uh that's what i do so let's uh, Good to know. I will do the same. So let's go back to what you were saying about, you know, Tarzan and, um, you know, the the introduction into Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yes, sir. And, you know, for me, Tarzan symbolizes a lot of the same things that John Carter and Flash Gordon and and those types of characters symbolize for me, which is that pulp adventure storytelling that is so ingrained in my love for – for geek culture. I mean, th- th- that type of stuff is the stuff that I love and it's so hard to find nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. That, that type of storytelling. Um, and deservedly so I will say it, it, it is hard to get right. And even if you get it right, there's no guarantee of box office success because in general it doesn't do well right. um, with today's kids. You know, the pulp sensibility appeals to guys more my age and older. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, your 17 year olds, they're they're not going for that, right? Um, you know they they don't get the the nostalgia behind it. So I think there's a you know some hesitation there to to really invest in that type of film. So, but you know when they announced this Tarzan film was coming out, and you know after I saw the trailers, I I just I was psyched for it. You know I, I love Tarzan. I love that character. I I think, you know much like some of the other characters we've discussed on the podcast, he's a tough nut to crack to get right. Oh no, absolutely. I and and. You're absolutely correct. I think it's I think it's becoming harder and harder to tell a Tarzan story the the more our culture ages. Because yes. it does harken back, you know, the the reason why, you know, the Johnny Weissmuller Tarzans were so successful in the 30s is that you're you were less than 100 years removed from the period that they're talking about, but that was a period was a was a period of great discovery, you know, that Victorian era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, keep in mind 
Tarzan is set in a period where we're talking about the Old West here in America, right? Yeah. Um, and so you've got you know something going on in the 1880s in Africa at a time when Africa is so unknown to us. You know, there, when you when you're when you're moving into the depths of of the jungles of Africa, you know, it is a mystery. It's it's one of the the last great frontiers, right? Um, yeah. And so that's, you know, when you see that on the screen back in the 1930s, that it's an age of wonder. You know, it's like, oh, my God, that this is, it's such a foreign land. Well, you know, I think that, that as our culture ages, we're a little more jaded about that. We know what's going on over there. And, mm-hmm. and I also think, and this was something that I was really curious to see how the movie handled, there is that that question that 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 concern about here you've got a white superman in black africa right yeah. you know where he's the center of the story he's the guy that all the natives look up to you know how do you address that and so i was real curious to see how the movie handled that issue because that that is something that in our current culture is a point of concern mm-hmm. and you know I don't know if I mean, we're on the topic, so I might as well go down that that rabbit hole um, before we can talk about some of the other stuff. I, I have read multiple reviews that very much emphasize that, right? Um, more so than the quality of the movie. Uh, you know, in fact, the the review on IGN, which I read before the, before I even saw the movie, uh, very much had a focus on on you know the the racial uh, you know the, the the racial topic in the movie. And I gotta say, I mean, for me, <clears throat> and maybe I just don't, my mind doesn't work that way. It, I didn't, it didn't really occur to me mm-hmm. while watching the film. And I, well, I understand that maybe I should have. Um, it, it didn't, you know, I, 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 I felt that the film innocently, uh, you know, portrayed that, that, that relationship, um, you know, very much showed him as a, as, a, as a child of Africa, regardless of color. Right. And from the movie, yes, the Tarzan was white, and you know there there were many white Africans in the film uh, as well. But it, it, for me, it felt colorblind, and maybe that was I don't know. I don't know how to address that topic in a film like that and still be an adventure film. I thought you know I I, <clears throat> I was thinking about it because I've heard that argument before. Right. That, you know, well, why why is the white guy the superhero in uh, in Africa? And, you know, I hear the same thing about the Phantom. Yeah. Yes. Phantom stories. You hear the same thing. Why is the white guy the superhero? And I thought that the film did a remarkable job of nobody ever says, here's why. Right. Yeah. But the reason is, is he's an outsider. He's an outsider amongst everybody there. Right? Yes, he is an outsider amongst the apes because hey, not an ape. <laughs> yeah. He is an outsider amongst the the natives because he's he's not raised amongst them. He doesn't even understand that they're the same thing as he is, right? Mm-hmm. Until that time, so he has had to because he's an outsider. He's had to acclimate to the apes. He's had to acclimate to to all the predators of the jungle. You know, he's had to learn them. Right. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody who lives there, you have your own tribe. He's a guy who, despite having been embraced by uh, Kala, the the mother ape, um, he was not truly embraced by that tribe. You know, there were there were apes in that tribe that that found him to be alien. Right. Yes. And so it's for me now, of course, I'm a white guy, but for me. 
that answered that question. Why is he so special? Well, he's so special because he had to adapt because he is the ultimate outsider in this country. Right. Yeah. And so he had to learn. He couldn't just learn one way. He had to learn all the ways. And I, I, that's what that worked for me. I'd be real curious to hear somebody else talk about that, you know, from a different, you know, cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, it worked and it answered the question. And I thought it was valid. So, I mean, but so I want to ask you, I mean, point blank. Um, did you care? Did you like the movie? I love the movie. Okay. I, I, I strongly enjoyed the movie. Uh, I enjoyed I, the movie as well. I wouldn't say that I loved it, I but like, I, I very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. It scratched my Tarzan itch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there were things that I really liked what it did. There were some things I was like, eh, I wish they hadn't done that. Um, but I, I, I think it was a bold move to tell a Tarzan story for this generation, mm-hmm. to pe- for people who largely aren't familiar with Tarzan who don't have an abiding love for Tarzan telling a story that takes place after Tarzan's been Tarzan to yeah. start the story where he is already back in England. He's Lord Greystoke and he's been there for eight years. I thought that was a bold move and I really respect that. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I'm watching it. I'm like, this is the arrow version of Tarzan. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> we're, we're, you know, he's already been Tarzan. He's, he's passed that in his life, but you flash back to the origin, mm-hmm. you know, periodically. Um, it was an interesting way of telling the story. And that, that is something that I respected and, and I enjoyed. I enjoyed that we didn't get an origin. You know, the, the origin was not the key storyline. Yeah, this no. isn't the first Tarzan. Um, well, and I liked it. You know, we, we tell this, the origin in flashback. And the origin is almost straight up out of Burroughs. I mean, I love that, yes. they, that they didn't spend a, a lot of English on that. They, it, it is almost straight up out of Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved that. I loved that. You know, that they do make some changes uh, from the Burroughs interpretation. Uh, you know, if you if you read Edgar Rice Burroughs, there is a language spoken by the apes, right? Yes. There is a language spoken by uh, the 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 lions and the leopards and the cheetahs and whatever, you know, the, the predators of the jungle. Um, and in the books, Tarzan learns to speak that language. Well, I think in our, our modern era, we interpret that as not so much language, but as, uh, as instinct and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, mannerisms and whatnot so that he can communicate not as you and I would communicate, you know, through words, but through movements and gestures, etc. Um, I, and you know, you are, they do credit the apes with uh, a culture, right? Yes. They, the, you know, there is that moment in the movie where he's like, well, you know, that's my brother, the, the big ape there who, who's leading the troop of gorillas, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, he, and he's like, well, he regards me as a traitor because I left the troop. And, you know, I'm just like, I really appreciated that they credited the apes with that culture. I, I thought that because it would have been easy to to have diminished that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the there is a scene in the movie where uh, Tarzan meets an old lion friend, right? Uh, you know, and and Jane says, "Oh, well, you know, they've known each other since they were cubs," and there, I thought it was a beautiful scene. Yes. You know, where, the, where, they're, where they're greeting each other. It's like two big house cats. <laughs> you know? Um, I, so I understand why you have to make some of those changes for a modern audience. And I think they, I think they did it well. 
I think they did it well. I, I one of the things that I dislike about the movie is that so much of it is shot in front of a green screen. And don't yes. get me wrong, their green screen technology is amazing. Their CGI is amazing. But it would have been nice to see some location shots. Yeah, I mean, not just green screen, but also uh, sets. Yeah. The sets were very clear to me oh. when something was being filmed on a set. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I understand they were trying to go for the night sky behind, but it just felt like they were in a room. Right. <laughs> right. Um, there, there was a lot of set photography. And, um, you know, I want to mention something, you know, in regards to you saying that Tarzan was an outsider for everybody. Right. And I, I I've seen Alexander Skarsgården in a number of things. Well, I shouldn't say a number of things. I saw him in True Blood. Um, I didn't watch True Blood regularly, but the little I saw, I saw him in. And the guy seems very charismatic, uh-huh. um, very personable. I've seen interviews with him. He seems like a, a, a nice guy. Yeah. Um, his portrayal of Tarzan for me as the outsider in everything, mm-hmm. for me, I felt like Tarzan was the weakest character in the film. Really? I just because every, and and you know I didn't even know Samuel Jackson was in the film. I didn't either until his his name came up in the credits. I was like, really? Okay. Yeah. And he's in almost every scene. Yeah. With Tarzan, and it occurred to me that they did that because if it was just Tarzan, you don't get much out of it. Like you need someone for him to play off of. So Samuel L. Jackson brought the personality to all the scenes. And don't, and don't get me wrong, Skarsgård did a great job as Tarzan. He looked intense. Um, he had the physicality, well, but he, he didn't have a lot of personality. And he and he had that thing, that that V thing there down down towards his uh, man parts. <laughs> yeah, the, the triangle. You could hear the, the the air go out of the room when he uh, took a shirt off. All the women and some of the men. <laughs> you could just you could just hear it in the theater, and and I'm like, I leaned over to Suzanne, I'm like, remind you of me, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he definitely looked the role uh-huh. and he had the intensity, but, he, you know, for he didn't. And, and I get it. That's Tarzan. The, the, the interpretation of Tarzan they were going with was as an outsider in every world. You know, like you said, you know, he's he's not truly amongst the humans. He's not truly amongst the apes like he he, he fits in all of them, but he feels like an outsider. Um, and And to that extent, I feel like. Some of his personality was lost. Like there wasn't much beyond I'm intense and I'm looking for my wife. Um, again, that for me that was a minor quibble because, but it, but from it was evident because all the other characters had such robust personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Samuel Jackson's character, you know, very much you know a you know, out with their personality and same with Margot Robbie's Jane. I thought she was fantastic. I, I you know, I got to tell you, you could have called this movie the, the legend of Jane because I enjoyed the hell out of her, you know, yeah. and they, they also had, you know, Jane in the books, Jane in the early movies is very much the person who gets captured that Tarzan has to go save. Yeah. And, you know, Jane, Jane, yes, she gets captured by the bad guy. But yeah, Jane's her own person, and Jane gets some, get, makes some moves on her own, and Jane yeah. is a hero in and of herself. Um, and I thought, I thought uh, Margot Robbie, is that her name? Yes. I thought she was a standout star in this film. I thought she was amazing in this. Absolutely. Film. 
Yeah. No, I, 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 a big fan. I thought, I thought she was terrific. I also rather enjoyed, uh, the, the German actor who was in, uh, Christoph Waltz. Yes. Also of Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Um, he was great. I loved him. Uh, it was, it was nice to see, you know, he, he is kind of a mustache twirling, uh, villain, but you understood what he was going for. He had, he he wasn't just, Hey, I just want to fuck everything up. You know, he, he had goals and, you know, he was like, I feel really bad that you got involved in this. It was just supposed to be Tarzan who came, (laughs) you know, you know, yeah, we were going to fuck Tarzan up, but you know, mm, sorry that you're collateral damage. Yeah. And well, and his, on top his, of that, you had the um, Jiman Hansu yeah. uh, villain as well. Who winds up not being so villainous. I mean, no. he certainly, you know, he he certainly seems the part at the beginning of the film. But then, you know, not, not to go too much into spoiler territory, but totally justified oh, absolutely. in his actions. Absolutely. And also from the book. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's what I, I, there is so many times we've seen Tarzan interpretations where it's Tarzan in name only, right? Yeah. Um, and it was it was beautiful to see so much of Edgar Rice Burroughs on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. I never found out. I, I never caught it in the in the credits, Paul. Who's the production company for this? I think Warner Brothers. Is it Warner? Because I was like, I, you know, I know I know it wasn't Disney, but I don't recall seeing it come up in the in the opening credits. And I'm pretty positive it was Warner Brothers. Brothers. But uh, I, I just thought they did a remarkable job. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think that the the actors were solid all around. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, like I said, uh, for for Tarzan, again, I felt he was. He, what, what did you think of Alexander Skarsgård as Tarzan? I thought he was good. I thought that he was a. a uh, I don't think he was great. Um, I thought he was good. I thought that he met the need. Um, I, the, my complaint about the film, and this isn't an, a, a Skarsgård complaint. My complaint is, is, uh, the, the story delayed far too long us seeing Tarzan be Tarzan. Uh, you wait a good long while before, you know, and number one, he's never in a loincloth. Disappointing. Uh, <laughs> he, he's in his shorts in the film, which I understand but, uh, you know, I, I just seems to me that if you're going to do a Tarzan movie, Tarzan's got to be in a loincloth at some point. Um, but uh, uh, it's a long time before you get to see him swing on a vine. Right. Yeah. And let's just let's just say this right now. He swings on a vine better than Spider-Man swings on his web. You know, I, I just yeah. I, I, I really dug that. I really dug that. And oh, there is a scene where they're trying to fit where uh, they they have to jump off the, the edge of a cliff to get down to where the train is. Yeah. And uh, everyone jumps. And so Samuel L. Jackson just has to jump blindly mm-hmm. um, because you can't see through the, the canopy of trees. Yeah. Um, and everyone has like, you know, nimbly landed on on, on a tree limb to get themselves down. And these are, these are mammoth giant trees that they're, that they're climbing on. Um, you know, it just seems like they were just happily rolling the dice that, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character would survive that and not just plummet to his death. <laughs> I'm sure seemed, they would have saved him. That seems a little irresponsible on Tarzan's part. <laughs> just saying. Well, yeah, uh, he had other things on his mind. But, you know, it, it did seem that we we had to wait a while before we got to see 
full-on Tarzan action. And in a movie called Tarzan, I want to see Tarzan be Tarzan early on. I will also say something that was hugely disappointing for me, uh, and, I, and I kind of understand why they did it, but they we never see Tarzan make his call, right? Correct. Uh, we yeah. hear it several times. In fact, when you hear it the first time and Jane is, has been captured and she hears it in the distance, there is that she never says anything, right? But there's just this smile on her face that just says, oh, my husband is going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that smile says. And it, it was played beautifully. But it was frustrating for me that we never got to see that. Mm-hmm. And I think they did it because they thought it just might be too campy. I think so, too. I think that, you know, they, they intentionally avoided that. Well, and I, and I bet there's probably a shot of Skarsgård doing it. And they probably, mm, that probably that, that might not work as well as we might want it to. Yeah. Um, and but I, I, it's disappointing for me because you know, as a Tarzan fan, as a Tarzan movie fan, I like seeing that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, I think it was a directorial choice, and I got to say, the director they chose, his name is David Yates. Um, he is primarily associated with doing the last couple of Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Um, he he did, I think, the last four. He did Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, and the two Deathly Hollow films. And that's primarily what he's known for. Um, and he's directing, I think, that new Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them film that comes out later this year. So he has two films coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Two um, big films. Two big films. Yeah, so a art I mean, house film. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Legitimately so. The guy is a talented director, and he did a great job directing this film. I have no no problem with the cinematography. I thought it was beautiful. I did not see it in IMAX, even though I had originally intended on seeing it in IMAX, but... Um, we saw. I, I got We saw. Sorry? X, we saw it in uh, the Cinemark XD. And how pretty. was that? It was pretty. It looked good. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful film. I, you know, I, I hesitated to. Once the reviews started coming out and they were lukewarm, I was like, ah, eh, maybe I'll just go ahead and see it in in regular 2D. Um, but it seems that the reviews, um, you know, the, the the critic reviews, it seems like in general the public is not agreeing with the critic reviews. Um, you know, it got kind of a mixed or poor response when it came out, but. Um, it actually made more money than they expected it to. Good. I liked it. I think it's a quality film. I I, I fear that it's not going to find its target audience. I fear that uh, you know the the teenage boys uh, mm-hmm. aren't gonna aren't going to you know jive to this film. Um, I. But it sure did scratch my my itch for Tarzan. Yeah, same here. You know, I I, I thought it, for me, it was a breath of fresh air in that we have a film. Where the, it's not the the world at stake. It's not, you know, there's not a giant hole in the sky. There's not, yeah, you know, um, New York City isn't under siege. It's it's, you know, it's not apocalyptic. It's it's yes, there is a there is a big special effects laden um, battle at the end, but it's it's still a very personal story. It's the stakes are personal. And I, I appreciated that, um, you know, in, in a summer where it's it's always about going bigger, you know, the world's going to blow up or something like that. Um, the, the fact that they 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 focused on on a particular story and 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 had this um, you know this this ending sequence that was yes full of special effects but not quite what we've what I've gotten used to seeing in these summer blockbusters. I appreciated that. Yeah, um, that felt like a breath of fresh air to me. But like you said, I don't know that it's going to find its audience. You know, it, it cost a lot to make, and even though it did higher than expected, I do feel like you know the, the word is no matter it, it, 
it did better than they thought, but it's still probably not going to make up for as much as it costs to make. Right. Um, which is a bummer because to a certain extent that means this isn't necessarily going to be the start of a franchise. You know, we're, we're, this is going to be a one on one and done until another ten years from now where someone retries Tarzan. Yeah. Yeah, and that's disappointing because you know I I'd like to see more in this. But I would too. if it is one and done, I enjoyed the film. And again, I'll pick it up on Blu-ray, and hopefully there'll be some great extras on that one. And it works as a one on one and done as well. You it know, does. It, they're they're trying to set up um, a franchise with the characters, but not storyline wise. Right. Right. You know, that this this very much had a beginning, middle, and end. It didn't set up for a sequel. There's not a larger mythology at place. It's not a you know a connected universe like the Marvel universe or anything like that. This is a one and done, and um, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. I, I I dug it. I dug it. And I'm looking forward to watching it again. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. Happy anniversary. Oh, yeah. Hey, happy anniversary to you as well. Yeah. So what? Seven years ago yesterday, July 3rd, we released yeah. our very first podcast of uh, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Uh, you know, I, I, I have said this before and I'll say it again. I really thought we'd do about five of those and be yeah. done. <laughs> and now I think uh, this episode, I believe, is episode 323. Something like that. And uh, not including all of our actual plays, interviews, and you know other special features on, this, on the stream. But 323 episodes, almost weekly episodes of uh, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. So, Paul, seven years in. What do you think? I'm ready to call it quits. Okay, done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we've got another 323 ahead of us. <laughs> we're going to be doing you and I are going to be doing this when we're in the old folks home you know hello and welcome to funny books with Aaron and Polly <laughs> my goal is to last longer than my first marriage so. yeah exactly well and and you know we have we have we have outperformed my first marriage we we, we have uh you know surpassed the the length of it as well as the amount of sex so sweet uh, we are we are we are Johnny on that we are in seven-year itch territory. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, you know, in our very first episode, uh, I remember it took me somewhere between eight and ten hours to edit because uh, we had some major problems in the audio stream. Oh, yeah. As we were figuring all that out. But we also had our very first interview on that episode where I interviewed Greg Rucka in a back alley at uh, Zeus Comics. That's which, right. Which That's was right. not sketchy at all. No. <laughs> well, the guy wanted a cigarette. He wanted a cigarette. And what was hysterical is that I had no idea who Greg Rucka was at the time. And Paul wrote <laughs> all of my questions. And so I felt like I was speaking a language I didn't understand. <laughs> But it did make me go out and read Gotham Central, which is now one of my favorite uh, non-Batman books. Uh, and Greg Rucka is one of our favorite writers. He is. I loves me some Greg Rucka. I, I am a huge fan of Lazarus. But you know, it's funny. It's like I, we can't, can't miss this opportunity to interview the guy. But I, you know, I, I didn't have any time. Once we had confirmed the interview, I had no time to do any real research other than to say, "Paul, tell me about Greg Rucka." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm a huge Greg Rucka fan now. Yeah, I mean, we've 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 met many great guys over the the course of the podcast. Um, you know, we've made new friends, and you know, we've had co-hosts come in and out. Yep. But uh, since episode one, yeah, yeah, you and I, Polly. true blue. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like we're Thelma and Louise. You know, uh, yeah, something like that. We're we're going to we're, we're butch and Sundance. We're going over the cliff together. <laughs> 
I, I feel like you're setting an unfair expectation. <laughs> you, don't let me go over that cliff by myself, Paul. <laughs> I, I make I, no promises. In I, I the will, moment, I will make my decision. I will drag you down with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, happy anniversary, Paul. And happy anniversary to you. And uh, if you're on the fence about seeing Legend of Tarzan because you've read reviews, go see Legend of Tarzan. It is worth your time. It's worth seeing on the big screen. And uh, if you are a fan of this podcast and the things we talk about and comic books in general, you're going to like the freaking movie. Yeah. And if you can get your hands on uh, any of those old Joe Kubert Tarzan comics, highly recommend it. They stand up. Absolutely. Those books absolutely stand up. A lot of stuff from our youth doesn't, and boy, it sure does. I've, I've been reading reading through the volume one of the of the Dark Horse archive, and whew, it's good stuff. Highly recommended. Hey, before we wrap up, let me ask you something. Yes, sir. So Edgar Rice Burroughs is primarily known for his Barsoom series and his Tarzan stuff. Yep. But I was doing research, you know, after watching Tarzan, uh-huh. and, you know, he has a number of other series as well. Uh-huh. He's got the, the Pirates of Venus and the Pelucidar series, mm-hmm. uh, Kazbak series, and the Moon series, and I'm not familiar with any of those. Yeah, nor am I. Um, you know, and the Pelucidar series has eight books in it. Mm-hmm. The Venus series has five books. Um, I- I'm not familiar with any of those, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, why haven't those been mined for, for, for maybe they're bad. Maybe that's why <laughs> we haven't heard of them, and maybe that's why they haven't been mined yeah. um, for... for uh, for films or our you know, TV shows or anything, but uh, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to look into them because, much like everyone, I'm mostly familiar with Tarzan and Barsoom. Yeah, and they're both good stories. But uh, yeah, check that out, Paul. Report back later. We'll do. All right, and we return you now to your regularly scheduled podcast. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. So uh, I, I went to the Fort Worth Botanic Gardens last night where uh, they, they do these concerts in the park uh, June through July, you know, all in ramping up to the July 4th weekend. I wonder and, if we I wonder if we can guess which which band Aaron went and, see, went and saw. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Uh, my, I'll go first because it was my idea. I, I'm voting Ramstein. Uh huh. Ooh, I like Ramstein. Incorrect. Incorrect. Hmm. I don't even know what that is. Slipknot. <laughs> he saw Slipknot. I, I, A Slipknot I, cover band. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You're close. I, I'm. Wayne. I'm thinking a Hanson cover band. Yeah. Ooh, Hanson. Yeah. No, the actual Hanson. <laughs> Hanson, is, Hanson is its own cover band. Just singing yeah. Mbop the whole night long. Um, For five minutes. <laughs> uh, it was an Eagles cover band backed up by the Fort Worth Symphony Orchestra. And I'm not an Eagles guy. But uh, what was hysterical is watching white people 
try and dance and keep a beat. It is, without a doubt, the most hysterical thing I've ever seen, or, conversely, the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Because you had all of, again, an entirely white people crowd (laughs) listening to this music. And, you know, the, the, the guy on stage is, you know, doing the whole big, you know, wide arms clapping kind of thing for the beat. And everybody else is doing the same thing. Nobody is clapping at the same time. It, it, was, it was a terrible thing. <laughs> you know, I, um, I had a similar experience, Aaron. Oh, did you? When you, went so the reason- to, when you went to the Elton John Billy Joel concert? Exactly. (laughs) So last week, the reason we didn't record was, um, well, a couple of us weren't available, but I wasn't available because I was in uh, Washington, D.C. seeing uh, Peter Gabriel and Sting. Or Elton John and Billy Joel, your choice. Or Elton John and Billy Joel. Yeah, I mean, you know, fill in, you know, choose stories the same regardless. That's right. Uh, You know, Paul, if that was 1987, that would have been a hell of a concert. It still was a hell of a concert. I will say, you know, they played for three hours and there was no... It, it wasn't one of those situations where one was opening for the other. They just alternated for three hours. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, you know, Peter Gabriel did a song, Sting did a song, and they were out there the entire time. So Peter Gabriel did keyboards for Sting's songs, and Sting did guitar for Peter Gabriel's songs, and, you know, they sang each other's songs and that kind of thing. I mean, it was just three straight hours, and it was a that great, is, great time. That is actually really cool, Paul. That is cool. Yeah, I mean, these 65-year-old guys have more stamina than I do, because I was <laughs> like, fuck, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> Um, but what was funny is much like Aaron's experience predominantly white crowd and I'm watching Sting and Sting's playing guitar to like In Your Eyes or something Peter Gabriel singing In Your Eyes and and, you know they they have like backup dancers and stuff like that and Sting is kind of dancing a little bit and I'm like Sting has no rhythm like Sting can't dance like I never knew this like Sting is like you know that like the the 65 year old white guy dancing Uh at the concert he's Uh just like stepping forward stepping back stepping forward stepping back like yeah, like you, you wouldn't think so. I mean, you would think Sting would be like, like, like movement like the water with all that tantric sex or whatever. Oh yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but apparently he doesn't have rhythm outside of the bedroom. Ah, uh, poor Sting. Poor Sting. Poor Mrs. Sting. <laughs> as long as he has it where it's important in the bedroom, yeah. yeah. Then he's sad. Well, well, he is called Sting. We, we don't really know that he's got that rhythm. We just know he's got endurance. <laughs> That's exactly. all we know. Well, he, might not, he might not be any good, and he's not any good, but for a long time. <laughs> you know, you know the best part of this conversation is Wayne and I have to cross the fucking streams to remember which thing you're talking about. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, y'all aren't about. talking about the wrestler, yeah. <laughs> oh damn it! Okay. Right. He doesn't have any rhythm either. It's I, I'd, no. I'd imagine they're interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been a hell of a show. <laughs> Peter, Peter Gabriel yeah. and then every other song they wrestle. Yeah. That's what like doing sledgehammer. <laughs> awesome. But it was it was an awesome show. I'm really glad I went. Um but it's just funny that you mentioned like white people who can't dance. Oh my god, it is just, you know, it, I, I was I, I even shot a little bit of video of of just this this just no I mean everyone's just clapping at the wrong times you know <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's a terrible thing. So along those lines, did I tell you that when I was in Metropolis, I went to an '80s dance party and <laughs> I got up and danced for like oh. two songs. Tell me, tell me, there's video of this. 
Not of me, Dancy, that's for sure. <laughs> because Was that, it a Superman that, dance party? No, it was just an 80s dance party. Although, oh, there God. was... There was they a guy. The bat dance wouldn't that have been the oh, best? Yes. There was a guy in a Superman costume that got really into it. Was it you? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> that hurts. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I need clarification, Wayne. What song pried your ass on the dance floor in the '80s band? Let's hear this. Oh, uh, Jump was one of them. Wait, wait, wait. Is that Van extent, Halen or is it the uh, – oh, God, what's her name? Uh, no, Van Halen. Okay, thank you. No, it wasn't jumping be... around. <laughs> that was 1990, Paul. Get your head out of your ass. Paul? <laughs> Jeez. So, what's, so jump and, – and you said two songs. Wait. Yeah. I don't remember what the other ones were. Mm, you half-assed the story. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I needed I needed Very you to true. remember these things. I I'll just tell you it was probably Belinda Carlisle. I'll just No, is that Patrick Swayze song from Dirty Dancing? <laughs> <sighs> it was something from Sister Act. Oh no no, it was Danger Zone. <laughs> Kenny Loggins. If it wasn't Danger Zone, anything else is disappointing. <laughs> uh, I seriously, if we had video of this if we had video of this on the YouTube channel right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, I have now in my head. I have Wayne and Pat in the uh, Top Gun. You're dangerous. Let's play volleyball. Oh yeah, scene. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and the see, only problem, I mean, you know, Wayne, this would be bigger than Chewbacca Woman or whatever her name is, the Chewbacca yes. lady. Chewbacca see, mom. I, Chewbacca I had mom. never, I had never danced before, so that was my first time getting out there. And I know I looked like an idiot, but. The uh, I was given the advice of you're out of town, no one knows who you are, just have fun. What happens in Metropolis stays in Metropolis, Wayne. Exactly. In your thirty something years of life, you've never danced? No. Because I don't know how to. Oh god damn wow. it. There's no video of this. Well, <laughs> you know what that means? Mancon twenty seventeen, Wayne learns to dance. <laughs> and that will go on the YouTube channel. You, okay, so, pump, pump break. You've never slow danced before? No. Okay, oh, wait, 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 wait. Sex standing up. <laughs> I'm not that coordinated. <laughs> <sighs> Wayne. All right, all right. See, we need a Wayne's awkward confession drop. Right? <laughs> we, can, we can do a whole video montage of teaching Wayne to dance, kind of like that uh, scene in Footloose. You know, where they're, where they're teaching uh, the pen kid to dance. I'm pretty sure this was I'm... one of the songs that got played, too. <laughs> this is 80s Day on uh, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> now, this is what Tim says. Footloose was 1979, Paul. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't look it up. Do you want me to? No. <laughs> no. Footloose was definitely 80s because it was one of the few movies I remember being at a drive-in in for. Oh, it was 1984. All right. I'm safe. Yeah. So I was I was four years old, and uh, I was with my sister, and she was uh, my sister, her boyfriend, and I was it was at a drive-in. I'm waiting for the awkward part. Oh of God, it's coming! No, I <laughs> I know I fell asleep during it. Uh-huh. Oh, uh huh. That's what they were waiting for. Yeah, that's because they dropped. I'm sure it was. Yeah, there's a little baby Benadryl in your uh, in your soda pop. <laughs> I I wouldn't blame him because that would be my move. Just drug the boy. Drug the boy. <laughs> Just drug him so we can be alone. 
So, Paul, as we as we move out of our totally awesome '80s conversation, yes, uh, I understand. I hear things that you might have some concerns about the Suicide Squad. I do. You know, I I I am one of the few on the podcast who genuinely enjoyed Batman versus Superman. And you know, the Ultimate Edition is currently available for an HD download right now. And I've heard very positive things. I about have it. too. I read a review this week where they're like, you know what? It makes a whole lot more sense. It it sells the movie. It makes it a better movie. Um, doesn't make it a great movie, but it makes it a better movie. And uh, mm-hmm. it hits Blu-ray middle of the month, like around the 13th or 15th, something like that. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Yep. But you know, so I got this email the other day. So, so I'm I know it's early. I know it's July. But you know me, I'm already thinking about Halloween stuff. Yep. So, you know, I get this email the other day. Well, let me let me rewind. So the a couple of days before Halloween, there is a big race. It's a big Virginia Beach race. It happens every year. It's called the Wicked. It's a 10K race, and it's a, a costume race. So pretty much everyone shows up in some type of crazy costume. Like, I mean, and people go all out. Like last year, someone was dressed as the house from Up. And, like, they had a whole band of people dressed as different characters from that movie. Like, that, I mean, it, it, people get ridiculous. Um, so I'm looking for I'm looking for costume ideas, and I get this email from Hot Topic with all these Suicide Squad-related clothing, the Suicide Squad-related clothing line. And I'm like, I could do the Joker. But then, like, I'm, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, they even have, like, shorts that Joker wears in the movie, and they have a T-shirt that looks like his tattoos. I'm like, I could go with Suicide Squad Joker. And then I hesitated. Because what if it sucks? What if it sucks? Okay. I, I'm still predicting it'll suck. <laughs> but I, am I don't want to go as the Joker from that shitty movie. You know, like, that, that would be like dressing like Jeff Goldblum from Independence Day 2. That kind of thing. <laughs> you don't want to go as the character from the shitty movie. Right. Okay, so let me, let me see if I get this straight. You decide you, decide you want to sweat your ass off. But no, you don't just want to sweat your ass off. You want to wear a costume to this, right? Yes. And so Hot Topic has pitched you an idea, which is already a red flag. All right, this is two. <laughs> this is two. This is two red flags. All right. And the the part where you pump the brakes is the movie. The, yeah, the movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that oh, so on top of that, right? I mean, Joker and Harley Quinn. I love those characters, and they're starting to release all this Suicide Squad merchandise. And I just don't want to put myself in a situation like I've been in multiple times where I get all fucking hyped about the merchandise. Because the merchandise is cool, and then the movie comes out, and it sucks. Because I've been through this before. Paul's I've had my heart broken before. Paul's been hurt before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear mm-hmm. you, Paul. But you have to, you I, have I, to learn to love Jones again. The Crystal Skull. You have to learn to uh, love again. You have to learn to love I, again. I was, about, I was about to ask you for an example of a movie that you went. Because you do go all out for the merchandise before the movies. But I couldn't think of a movie you actually hated that you did that for. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I followed the UPS truck to Toys R Us to get those action figures. And that fucking movie was terrible. And, you know, like, no, don't get me wrong. I have learned my lesson more since then. Like Superman, Batman, or Batman versus Superman, I picked up merchandise, but it's okay because I like Batman versus Superman regardless of the quality of the movie. But, you know, Suicide Squad, I don't know. But, you know, the problem is if you wait till the movie comes out, like all the merchandise is gone. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I'm surprised that there's two of you that have this fear that this movie's going to suck. 
The movie, the, I mean, everything I've seen for the movie looks really good. It looks, I, it looks yeah. great. It I looks have no worries about the movie. The last pre couple previews do look good now, but the early ones looked horrible. I just and think bad I just, these looked good for me. I'm sorry. I just think, I just think that was a bad cut on the trailer. I just don't think DC can make a good movie right now, but I'm ah. still going to see it in theaters because ah, the last talk. couple ones looked good. That's kooky talk. I mean, I, I, it's I think not it's Zack going Snyder to... directing it. I mean, <laughs> the, the problem with Batman versus Superman was that you had the wrong guy at the helm. You know, they're, they're, they, the DC is already, or Warner is already making changes to, to ensure that particular train wreck doesn't happen again. Uh, and yeah. I, I think that, that uh, Suicide Squad is going to be very much in the same sort of vein as Deadpool. I think, I think it's going to be, I, I'm not predicting it's going to be a great movie, but I think it's going to be a very enjoyable movie. I think, Paul, the, the thing you could take heart in is the fact that they saw what Deadpool did, and they went back and said, we need to change a few things. Yeah, which is true. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful for it. And I'm looking I am, I am looking forward to it, because this summer, and we're getting off topic here, but who cares, this summer has been kind of shitty for movies. Um, like, I... I I, I know, Aaron, we were just talking about Independence Day. Independence Day really wasn't – this was before the podcast, so sorry, guys. You missed that conversation. <laughs> but just to, fill, just to get you caught up, it wasn't very good. If you want to subscribe, you can get the uh, pre-show. Yes, you um, can go to the fee-paying member site and uh, download the before and after the show. I mean there's been a lot of mediocre then, this year. And then there's our show where people talk about what we talked about in Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. And it's, it's called, called Talking Funny Books. Yeah, Talking Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> Talking Books. <laughs> but, Paul, don't forget we've also had Captain America and Deadpool. I mean I get that, but we've also had Independence Day, The Conjuring 2, Now You See Me 2, X-Men Apocalypse. I thought you liked Conjuring 2. No, I did not. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you liked that one. No, I did not. And then X Men Apocalypse was mediocre. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two I liked, but it wasn't great. Well, Alice in the Looking Glass was a bomb. And I don't hold out a whole lot of hope for the new Star Trek movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm seeing it opening weekend. I just don't yeah. hold out a lot of hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on that one. It's just been a, a big. This summer has had a lot of disappointment. Like Batman versus Superman. <laughs> How can we even call that a summer movie? It came out in March. That's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's a fair point, Wayne. Get your head out. Well, of you you added this. <laughs> you added the summer aspect of it, but you started with just saying movies from this year. That's true. Well, and keep in mind, we have Ghostbusters coming up in two weeks, and they just yeah. released their final trailer, and it still looks bad. I mean, I, I like you said, I don't have a lot of hope for yeah. Star Trek beyond but i hope it's good jason bourne looks good in suicide squad so we may still have some good movies this yeah. summer but I see, I keep, I keep forget, so far. i keep forgetting we're getting a new bourne movie with actual matt damon uh yeah so so see i had no hope at all for suicide squad until the reshoots that's when i started to think maybe this will be good and i i'm hoping it is i do plan on seeing it in theaters now but well, i don't having, expect it to be good well having seen tarzan I now, I, and I already did have an appreciation for Margot Robbie. What's a, Mar I have, what's a Margot Robbie? Did you ever see Wolf of Wall Street? No. Oh. Oh, yes, I did. She, that was the DiCaprio movie, right? Yeah, yeah. she was the wife. Okay, she's, she's She's the Harley Quinn here. Okay. Yeah, she's Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. Thank you. Okay. I, I, I'll pretty much see anything with Margot Robbie in it. <laughs> Paul, I, I, Paul, I have an appreciation. A you're a whore. Yes. I, I'm okay with that. 
I no, think Paul I, is not a whore. Whores get paid for it. He just gives it away for free. Actually, there's no free. He's I paying say, for paying it. For, I'm paying for it. So you're a John. <laughs> I'm a John. <laughs> I think I think you should get your Joker stuff. Just just to bite the bullet, Paul. I'm gonna go if, for it. If nothing else, it'll be ironically funny for you to take the pictures. Like, look what I dressed up as. Yeah. Well, and we'll get to make fun of you. So. <laughs> Bonus. So it's worth it in the long run. That's right. That's right. It'll be an interesting story. You'll hear about it on the Halloween episode of Funny Books. <laughs> Listen, if people hate that movie, they'll chase you and you'll run faster. There you go. Oh, good point. Good yeah. point. Kick that guy's well, ass. Get him. <laughs> well, since we're talking about hate, <laughs> let's talk about Dark Knight 3, The Master Race number 5. Holy crap, this book sucked. Oh my god. Like, could this be any worse? It was like... It was like they set out to say, how can we make a colossally disappointing, unappealing disaster of a book? How can we take a, a, a story idea that, 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 that had so much promise, uh, that taps into a legacy of, uh, of, of, of a fantastic property, and just piss all over it? That's what it felt like they set out to do. Yeah, so, I saw this book pop up on Comixology at five ninety nine, and I'm like, okay, well, I've been buying the series, so I just I double checked and realized I didn't buy the issue before this issue four, so I was like, you know what? If I didn't buy four, I'm not buying two five ninety nine books right now, and I wasn't enjoying it that much to begin with, so I dropped off apparently at issue four. This book is terrible. It is. It is a terrible. It, it feels nothing like like the book. The series at least started feeling like it could be in the Dark Knight universe. This book doesn't even feel yeah like it's in that Dark Knight. You know, I mean, well, it's and, too happy. It's too you know. Well, it, it doesn't somehow, feel right. Did you notice that Superman and Batman both got younger? Yeah. Yeah, in the way that they're being drawn, and I'm like, now wait a minute. I mean, there is a moment where Superman. You know, it's it's a big face shot of Superman, and he looks like he's today's Superman. And, you know, he's not that guy. He he's he is he is not, uh, you know, Earth Two Superman with, you know, the big uh, gray sideburns. But he is an older, more mature Superman. And this Batman does not look like the aged Batman that he was. No. And I mean, so that's terrible. Superman's daughter, his daughter with uh, Wonder Woman has decided to side with the uh, Kandorian cultist fanatics. But there is no motivation that we, you know, she's been on their side now for what, two issues now? There is no yeah. no motivation on the page as to why she would do that, other than the fact that, well, you know, they're Kandorians, which makes them Kryptonians, so they're like me. But, you know, she's raised by Superman, who is, you know, uh, a person of fine, fine moral... Uh, uh, upbringing and wonder woman who's got a rigid moral code there is no no there's nothing on the page that suggests why she would do such a thing and there's a moment in the book i'm like oh you know she's she's gonna double cross him nope she does horrible things right alongside the kandorians yeah i mean just horrible things and i, I she I, there is nothing on the page to explain that I mean, it's it's just a poorly written book. 
Um, it doesn't feel right. The characters don't ha- I mean, have their voices have changed even from previous issues. Like it, it just feels like they ran out of steam or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't understand it. The you've got, you know, tremendously uh, talented uh, artists, you know, in, in you know, Kubert uh, working on this is he's tremendously talented and there is nothing on the page that's worth looking at. No, I mean, I mean, and the art has gotten worse. I mean, yeah. like it feels like this, like the end of this issue was rushed. Yeah, and then it gets even worse, Paul, because you get the Frank Miller backup story, right? And the way Frank Miller draws, he do, he does a Lara, which is you know Superman, Wonder Woman's daughter backup story, and it is, I, there it is, is unreadable. Yeah, yeah, it's just terrible. It's just it, it is it is not, it is not amateurish. It is unreadable. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not, I, not I, I'm not just giving Frank Miller a hard time. Clearly, he has health issues. Clearly, his art's terrible, and has been. But well, the writing on this book was the writing on the backup issue or the backup was terrible too. Yeah, the writing is bad, but I feel like the the style that he has adopted, which you know has been growing since DK two. You know, he has been leaning more and more this way. There are certainly elements as the way he does Sin City, but I think his style works for Sin City. Uh, but he's he's adopted more of a cartoonist style rather than, you know, a comic book illustrator style. Uh, so it's it's more uh, stylized than it is trying to be hyper-realistic. Um, and he draws like he's angry at the reader. You know, he draws in such a fashion that, you know, it's it's so shorthanded, um, you know, where he's cutting corners. He is just going to give you the idea of a person as opposed to drawing a, a true person or with no backgrounds at all. Yeah. I mean, the he he does this thing with Lara. I mean, you know, he, he objectifies her so much where she's just all ass and tits. Right. Um her her waist is I mean you know you could put your hand around her waist yeah. um, and I mean and everything is drawn to objectify those aspects of her body and the whole time he's drawn I feel like he's mad at me <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like fuck you Aaron here you know I mean it, he, he I feel like Frank Miller has contempt for the reader. I well, truly the, do. But the problem is, you know, then you flip through these um, variant covers, uh-huh. and there's this variant cover of Batman breaking through glass. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of awesome. Yeah. But I don't know if that's him. You know, that's my thing. Like, I don't know how much of this was filled in by the colorist right. versus actually being Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, this- a, that's a really cool cover. Um, but... The, the 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 interior of the book is just terrible, and I'm sorry. I think it's irresponsible for DC to give him as much leeway as they've given him. I just think it's irresponsible. And I gotta tell you, Paul, and, to, and then to charge readers six dollars for it. Yeah. Well, I'm I, I have been in for five issues. I am out. I think I'm gonna see it out for the final three issues. Ugh, I am I am out. This was this was. T- Terrible. And I got to tell you, there's a part of me. I like, I don't even really understand what's going on. I mean, I understand that the they're ca- not clear. And the yeah. problem is it's Brian Azzarello. More, I mean, Frank Miller has already said this is Brian's show. So why is it so poorly written? Yeah, because Brian's a good guy. Azzarello yeah. d- writes tremendous stuff. So I don't understand why this book is such a train wreck. Now, in fairness, when you look at some of his stuff in the past, 
it doesn't always make sense until the end. You know, the difference is, like in the in the first Dark Knight series, every single one of those books was great. And keep in mind, they were comparable in length, so it's not like they've been shorted on pages, except they've chosen not to tell the full story in all those pages. They're splitting it up. Their choice, they're splitting it up where you've got a, a lead story and then a, a backup B story. And I don't think the issue is that the artist isn't drawing the story. I think the issue is that they're just not giving you the, the motivation there. And you never had those kind of questions in the earlier stories. I just I think this is badly written. I agree. It is it is a poorly written, uh, poorly executed, and now poorly drawn book. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and as an explanation of that, and this is Frank Miller's own thing, right? There, the last page of the Lara story, she, you know, Lara decides that what she really likes to do is to be roughed up when she's making out with somebody, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the Kandorian guy she's hanging out with, you know, uh, pops her. She, you know, he, she pops him. They, they make out. They kiss. She gives him a stern look. And then I can't tell if she's flying away or if she's been hit. I, I, I mean, I, the, the... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wondered that, too. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and she's flying away, and she's got blood all over her face, and, you know, from the conflict with him. I mean, it's just such a weird book. It is. And, you know, we've already seen this, like, beat up each other, have sex thing in DK2. Right. And maybe that's, the, maybe that's the point, but, ugh. Yeah, no, this book is terrible. Terrible. So I, I like I said, Paul, I'm out. You'll have to tell me how, how it winds up because uh, ooh, this was terrible. Maybe you're better off with him not telling you how it winds up. <laughs> well, Paul, let me tell you something. As as bad as uh, DK three issue number five was, I enjoyed the hell out of a book from Devil's Due uh, this week, and I, I have to say. Uh, I saw a cover image for a Devil's Due book that came out this week called Public Relations. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, I think it was like issue four, maybe issue three, something like that. I forget. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, I was like, man, I'm not familiar with that. So, you know, and the, the cover caught my eye. And then I looked at the interiors. And I'm like, oh, well, this looks great. So I went back and I pulled the first issue. And uh, with the, the thing that caught my attention, one of the, the sample images was the that public transportation uh, apparently involves having a uh, a passenger cabin strapped onto a dragon as they fly you to your destination, yeah. which which I was like, okay, that seems interesting. I'm in. And then you know the fact that it is co-written by a friend of the of the podcast Matthew Sturgis, I was like, oh fuck, you know what what won't be to like about this book. And I gotta say, this is was such a different slice of uh, of comic for me. Um, it is not a superhero comic. It certainly tells a, a fantastical sort of story, but it's amusing. A little bit of romance. Uh, I I really kind of enjoyed this book, and so I was thrilled to hear that you read it, and I'm eager to hear what you have to say. I thought it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I mean, it's not dark. It's it's just a humorous. It's like the office meets some type of fantasy setting, you know, um, they, it, they, it's, it's a fun book and it's, it's adult humor. Uh-huh. 
it, it, it for me it was a breath of fresh air. It really the art was. isn't too overdone. It's just it, it feels fun. Yeah, it, the 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 style is you know kind of a very crisp sort of you know romance comic kind of style, uh, almost like uh, I'm trying to think of the guy uh, uh, Jaime Hernandez, you know, like Love and Rockets yes. kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, there, there are some fantastical things like, you know, the, the part of the story is that they're going to uh, meet his estranged father that he hasn't seen ever, I think. And, you know, they're going to Sardonia, a, a small country in Europe that one of their the big things that makes them notable is that they have magic there. And, you know, so thus, you know, their airlines employ dragons to, to fly you there or to fly you back from there. Um but one of the scenes, you know, his, you know, he's been estranged from his father all this time, has, you know, continues to have a relationship with his mom, and he's going there for a big birthday party for his dad, and his, his, his mom says, you know, well, I'm going to go too, and he says, but you just said, and she goes, I have needs, Daniel. Mommy has a vagina need, or has vagina needs. And I was like, oh, Matt Sturgis, this is so disturbing. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i mean it was a, it was two dollars yeah which you know the, the price point is right um so i'm gonna i'm gonna check out the rest of the issues i only picked up issue one yeah, to give I it a shot i did too but i enjoyed it yeah. um you know and I, and I appreciate you know aaron sent out that he was reading it this week and i remember reading uh you know we follow matt sturgis on twitter and i remember him talking about when he was writing it so uh you know i'm, I'm glad i checked it out yeah it's, it, i think this book's a lot of fun uh, I, I really got a kick out of it. I, I love, uh, you know, there are some, some kind of, you know, fantasy tropes and, you know, genre storytelling tropes in here that they're making fun of. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun, particularly in the in the weeks following the uh, series season finale of Game of Thrones. It's kind of a, a, a nice sort of, you know, palate cleanser. So uh, I enjoyed this and I, I'm looking forward to picking up the rest of the, the, those issues. And, you know, this is the one of several first issues that I read this week because, you know, this was the the five week for uh, comics here in June. And so there wasn't a whole lot out there to pick up this week. And so, you know. I saw that a number of books that were released this week were from publisher Double Take, and I, I was I was like, you know, I vaguely remember hearing something about this publisher. That I was taken by the cover art on all of these, and you know, I've said in previous episodes that there really hasn't been much out in terms of covers uh, that has really gotten my attention, other than in the Rebirth books. So, you know, I was like, well, what is this? Well, Double Take is a comics publisher that has used as the foundation of their comic universe George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And so they're telling stories around what happened in that original movie from the 60s that Romero did. And one of the nice things about this publisher is that all of their first issues are absolutely free on Comixology. Um, their comics are digitally native, which is to say that they are designed for the digital experience. So it's kind of like reading a Marvel Infinite comic or one of uh, Mark Wade's Thrillbent books, where you know the, the the transitions are almost animated. And new issues are typically ninety nine cents. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there, there's a lot to be said about hopping in. So Wayne has been reading the Double Take books all along. So I'm going to let Wayne uh, start off our conversation here. Yeah. So like, I'm a big fan of the George Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead, and being public domain, anyone can just grab it and start working with it. And so I've 
I at least tried the first issue of every one of these books, and they weren't all hits for me. But a couple of them really caught my attention. Uh, there, one of them is called Remote, and that one is basically it's a woman at a radio station. While all of this is going on, there's nobody coming to relieve her shift, so she's just working nonstop sharing the news of what's going on. Uh, another w one of them, um, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it's one of the ones that you guys read, is about Barbara and her brother from Night of the Living Dead. I have not and, gotten to that one yet. I've read, I've read a number of them so far. Uh, I've read uh, Remote, the one you just mentioned. I've read Dedication, uh, and just the first issues, by the way, uh, Honor and Z-Men. Yeah, there's one about a nurse working a hospital yeah. while it's going on. That there's called Medic. Yep. And that's one of the things I just really enjoy is it's all based around it, but they change a lot. Yeah. And it's instead of seeing, you know, a couple some people gathering in a house, you're seeing everything else going on around. Depending which book you're covering, you could be following a medical professional or police or army or different people dealing with the zombie outbreak. So are you, the fourth issue came, the fourth issue in this series uh, came out this week. So I, you've been reading all the way through. Yep. So uh, what's your standout issue? What's the one that, that what was the title that really grabs you? Remote. Remote. Liked, out of all of them, that's my favorite. I liked remote. Um, I, there was, I felt like, and again, I've not, fin there, there are some others like, uh, I haven't read Rise yet. I haven't read Slab yet. I have not read Medic or Soul. But, um, you know... I've Rise is the one that's about Barbara and her brother. Okay. Uh, I'm looking, is that one good? Yes. Um, um, I, I don't know that I agree. Wait, sorry. <laughs> um, Rise is the one I read, and it's. I wish it wasn't... The, it, it sounds like some of these other books are good, um, but I didn't think Rise was good. I, I thought it was a... A poor reinterpret. I've only read the first issue, but I did not care for it. Um, I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I love Night of the Living Dead. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe you know, being with that predisposition, I didn't. I I didn't know first of all that this book was a retelling of that story from um, not even from Barbara's point of view, but more from her brother's point of view. Um, and I just I didn't care for it. I didn't care for the interpretation of the story. So, um, I do think the first issue, I, I'm trying to remember if I actually care for the first issue or not, I but mean, I, I thought it got a lot better. away from them. I, it, I was like, what, what did I just read? Like for me, the, the, you know, these stories are told in an animated way. You know, they say turn off animated transitions, um, because it's like, um, motion comics. Right. Cause I, I downloaded one and it was like 120 pages. I'm like, what the hell is this? And it's because it's 120 panels. It's like that, you right. know, motion type stuff. Right. And um, I just, I, you know, I thought the art and I thought the way the book was done was was not well done. I thought the art wasn't good. Um, the word balloons were kind of funky to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll say, Paul, the word balloons is something I, I, that is an adjustment for me because the the word balloons are really more like box text, uh, almost like you would have seen in an old. Um, uh, computer RPG game, right? Where you see the the box uh, dialogue come up as somebody's saying something. Well, 
and not all the books are like that. Some of them have normal word balloons. Some of them have the box text. I uh, of those books that I have read so far, it's all box text. So I, I just haven't gotten to the ones that you're talking about. Um, I I agree. I think some of the books are executed better than the others. I will say. From issues one through four in all the titles, they have got amazing cover art on these books. Uh, and that's what really drew me in uh, and made me look at the, the interior pages to see if I wanted to pick them up. Um, I feel like some of the artists need more experience in uh, telling illustrated stories. Um, you know, like for instance, in the pages of Honor, which tells the story of of uh, uh, two policemen there in Pennsylvania during the initial days of the of the zombie outbreak. The artist doesn't really it, it isn't firmly able to capture the space. And I think one of the things that that's probably challenging for them is that because the way they have built their platform for telling these motion animated comic uh, digital native stories is that they use the entire screen for a given panel, right? For a given for a given uh, uh, panel on the page. And so you're telling this the 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 story inside a car and two-thirds of the page are not really used even though it's illustrated. And so it makes instead of just cropping to the to the aspect of the page that you're going to use and have everything else black to draw you in they use the entire thing and so it makes the page look very uninteresting conversely there is another book and so i, I feel like honor really kind of the, the the book honor did not uh tell an effective story visually in fact there are things that happen on the page that I don't understand what happened because there's no dialogue to support it and I, the the artist didn't effectively communicate it visually but when you flip over to the to the story spring uh which is largely about uh uh kid you know the folks vacationing you know at the beach and whatnot as the zombie outbreak is about to come it does kind of very much the same thing that a lot of the story is uh, a person in a car, you know, within a confined space, but the space is used so much more effectively. And so, you know, the artist on this book, uh, which is uh, the layouts were done by Young Heller and uh, Kurt Teed with penciler uh, Durless Santa Cruz, is very effective. Uh, I, but the 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 one in the book Honor, not so much. So. You know, I, I think what's great about this is that, you know, all these first issues are free. You go in there and find the one that, that speaks to you and then follow the yeah. one. Yeah, I didn't keep up on Honor. The uh, I said remote is the one I jumped to. I enjoy Rise, but I do see what Paul's point was with that. And I do think seem to remember I didn't like the first issue as much as subsequent ones. Because yeah. the first one seemed like it was just a bad retelling of that of the movie. But they go a completely different direction. Right. And they're all 99 cents. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a tremendous value. And I, I love I love that we've got folks out there who are doing digital native comics. And I, I, I think that, that it's 
it is a low risk for for somebody to get in and check those out. And particularly on a week like this one where there's not a lot out from the big two, uh, I think that there's, there's a lot there to take a look for. Um, I think one of the things to uh, note about this book or, or these books is uh, you've got uh, guys like Bill, Jem- uh, Bill Jemis who are involved with it. Um, who, you know, he's, he's a guy from Marvel back in the day. I didn't see that Bill Jemis was involved. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like he wrote, he wrote spring, uh, and is credited, I think on most of the books as, you know, somehow, uh, being involved with story development. So, uh, so, you know, we've got some, some tenured comic book talent involved there as well as newbies. So I, I, I'm in, I, I'm going to, there are several of these that I'm going to continue to pick up. Uh, I, and I, I'm just so glad that I caught that, you know, cause it's, it's, there are so many smaller publishers out there. It's easy to overlook them in the noise of rebirths and civil wars. Uh, it was, it was nice to have a quiet moment. Usually I'm bitching on, on a, on a five week that, you know, why, why couldn't Marvel and DC put out a, a decent book this week? <laughs> you know, why couldn't they put out something like, for instance, I don't know why there isn't some sort of special rebirth issue this week. You know, I don't, I don't get that, but. Yeah, I'm surprised that DC, and I think it's, I don't know, like, it, it seems like the fifth week is something that comic publishers still struggle with, and it's yeah. like, between bi-weekly books and all that, really? Yeah. Like, we're still struggling with this, but... Yeah, they, they released I, Teen Titans Annual, was yeah. DC's release. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not that. I, I could, I, I need a cheap week every once in a while, but I, I need... I, I still want something, right? We, you, we, yeah, cheap weeks aren't aren't a terrible idea. However, when you're relaunching your books, yeah, this is your perfect opportunity to get people to buy it who normally wouldn't. Exactly. And you know, I I don't know about the rest of the world, but I know coming into a holiday weekend, I'm I'm going to tend to pick up more comics rather than less because I'm going to have more time to read. I don't know if other people think that way, but I know that's that's how I how I think. But I, you know, I'm thank I was thankful for the bandwidth to go out and pick up books like from Devil's Due, Public Relations, and these books from Double Take. And you know, Double Take sold me. I'm gonna I'm actually going to be purchasing some issues two, three, and fours from them. So uh, I'm excited about that. But you know, as we uh, before we move off the subject of of a fifth week, couldn't. Wouldn't have DC maybe have been better off in their crappy Dark Knight three, having that be a and it was a fifth week today or this week, but having it you know planting that you know we're going to do the, these books then, you know so you're going to get it quarterly which you know would have been closer to the mark <laughs> on them being able to turn these things out. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a while back, right? Yeah. We talked about how pub- we wish publishers would do things like the Earth One books or original yeah. graphic novels from these artists who can't maintain a schedule on yeah. these fifth weeks. Because I'll buy a twenty-five dollar book on a fifth week. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, because you're, you're, it's all it's it'd be a quarterly thing. But I don't know why you wouldn't do, I don't know, you know, some kind of kind of you know, alternate universe story or something like that that you're just checking in with four times a year. I don't know. I, I think there's something to be done there. But, you know, again, I'm thankful for, for Devil's Due and uh, Double Take Comics. Yeah. So once again, that's Double Take Studios, and I would check them out on Comixology. Yeah. Um, is where all the free books are. Woohoo. So I, uh, you know, season three of Penny Dreadful is, I, I think it's just about to wrap up. I know there's at least nine episodes on my DVR right now, but I just. It has, it has wrapped up. Has it? Okay. Um, I watched uh, episodes one and two over the last week of season three, 
and uh, digging it quite a lot. I really enjoy Penny Dreadful, and I'm, I'm you know we've talked in previous weeks about uh, Robert Kirkman's Outcast, which is over on Cinemax right now, which is creepy as hell. And, yeah, but yeah, very good. I mean, I'm all caught up on that. I'm really digging that show. Yeah, but nobody does creepy better than Penny Dreadful. Uh, and I got to tell you, season three does not disappoint. So I want to say something, and it's not spoiler. Paul? It's not spoiler, I promise. But I'm, And I'm assuming it's news you've read, is that Penny Dreadful season three is the final season. I had not heard that. They did not announce it until after the final episode had aired. That is disappointing. Um, well, I mean, apparently everything comes to a, a, a complete conclusion that they that the writers felt that, that that everything came to a conclusion that they did not want to continue the story after. Huh. So, um, you know, Penny Dreadful season three is, is is the final season, at least you know, yeah, well, until it, someone pays them enough money to come back. <laughs> I hate I hate that only because. I really enjoy these characters. In fact, they've introduced, uh, you know, at least one new character this season that I was like, I really like this guy. Like him in terms of like like, like seeing him on the screen, uh, not necessarily that I want to hang out with him and have a beer. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, and, and I won't, I won't because you haven't uh, watched any of it yet, Paul. I won't spoil anything there for you. But uh, I, I'm just, I'm getting a kick out of this ep- this season. So I'm sad to hear that it's going to be the final season. Tim, you've been you've been checking out that comic because uh, issue two came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and much much like what I said on issue one, it is if you like the show and you like comics, you need to get this book. Um, I am thoroughly enjoying it, and which, is, like I said, is weird. It's weird because I'm not I'm not your typical horror fan, but I like that show, and this it's like it's like one of those complimentary pieces that I, I feel like you'll like. Both, <laughs> like right. I, it's one of those things where I think it'll in, in, it'll increase your enjoyment of the universe in general. The, um, the, the, the there is a difference. Like the, the comic does take kind of a right turn from the from the book as far as it's sort of feeling like a what if premise from the show. Right. But everybody sounds pitch perfect, and like I said, the art's creepy and. I, I can't, like I said, if you if you like the show, I can't recommend this enough. Well, I I I have not picked up any of the Penny Dreadful comics yet, but uh, I will be doing that most likely after I conclude my season three and decide that I have to have more Penny Dreadful. And I think it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a good uh, tonic for that. We'll thank say you. thank you, thank you, Wayne, uh, oh. Tim, Wayne, Paul, whatever it is. Fuck these people. <laughs> <laughs> They're all voices in your head. That's right. They are. Hey, this is all just made up. I, I was, we're not really podcasting. I'm just deluding, deluding myself. I'm you know, taking part in some sort of weird scotch-induced fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every time reality starts to creep in, it's time for another scotch. That's right. You just, you just pour a little bit more. That's yeah. what you do. Yeah. So, you know, we are... Um, Aaron and I are going to record a, a conversation about Tarzan separately that we're going to put into the, the podcast. But one of the things that watching Tarzan made me think of is what are some comic book characters that um, that either haven't had a movie in a while or have never had a movie that I would like to see in a movie? 
And so I, you know, I brought this to the table with, to discuss with you guys because I, I thought about it a lot while watching Tarzan because I have been so goddamn excited about this Tarzan movie because it has been such a long time since we've had a decent Tarzan movie. And don't get me wrong, I like the Disney Tarzan movie. I know we actually had one a couple of years ago that was like straight to video Casper Van Dien Tarzan that I never even saw. Um, but I mean, the last decent Tarzan movie was probably Greystoke, and even then, yeah, you know, I like I like Greystoke, but. Um, you know, it, it doesn't stand the test of time for me. Now, wait a uh, minute. What about the Bo Derek Tarzan? Wasn't that after Greystoke? No, that was before. Oh, b- b- before I, Greystoke. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, wasn't that before yeah. Greystoke? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoy Tarzan <laughs> as a character. I, I enjoy Tarzan as a character. So I, I, I love seeing that character portrayed on the screen, and I enjoy, you know, that that type of pulp storytelling, you know, like the John Carter. We we're not going to go into John Carter again, um, but you know my point. Like, I, so I was like, what what other characters have I not seen on the big screen for a while that I'd like to see? And I thought of two, and they're they're characters who both had movies in the '90s that both did poorly, even though I liked both movies. Okay, Dick Tracy. Oh, I forgot about Dick Tracy. Okay. Okay. Uh, but that's a good one. So now he has three. Now I have three. <laughs> I've been talking about Dick Tracy for years, yes, though. I, have a, I want Dick Tracy to come back, but I know the rights are all screwed up. Gosh, who's but the other one, Paul? The Phantom? The Phantom. Yeah, okay. And The Shadow. Okay. So I've recently watched both The Phantom and The Shadow again, Paul, because I own both of them. And uh, I love The Phantom movie. Is a just cornball fun movie. But the shadow did not hold up for me. The shadow doesn't. I think the Phantom holds up for repeat viewings more than Shadow does. Um, absolutely, and I think part of that for me is the Phantom is a fun movie. It's corny. It's corny, and that's the and that's where it faults. But it is fun, um, and I feel like we need that type of fun pulp sensibility in films nowadays. We don't have a lot of that outside of the Marvel movies. But you know, you put the guys who did a Marvel movie. Uh, who did like Civil War on a Phantom movie? I mean, that you know, I feel like Phantom would lend itself to be a, a, a pulp, you know, jungle adventure type movie that we haven't seen in a while. We haven't had a good one of those in a while. We talked about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull earlier. That's not a good example. Yeah, I would go see that, Paul. I would, I would be excited for it. So, Wayne, what's a what's a property you'd like to see? So I thought about going with something that we uh, we haven't seen a movie of, but in the end I decided uh, I want to see a Injustice be undone. I want to see a good Jonah Hex movie. Yeah, yeah, a good Jonah what, Hex movie would would, would be awesome. Yeah, because there's so much potential in the character, and it could be done so easily and so well, and then they gave us that piece of garbage. <laughs> so that that was an injustice that needs to be fixed. So, yeah, Jonah Hex, definitely. How about you, Tim? I want a Scott Summers course here in the Star Jammers uh, uh, movie. Yeah. That would be good. Yes. Yeah. I'd, and even with the new Cyclops that they had in X-Men Apocalypse, you know, that young kid, he would be good, I think. And none of you, have any of you seen X-Men Apocalypse? Oh, yeah, I have. I think yeah, that, yeah. that would be fine. Yeah, he was fine. I I don't know if it would be two Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know maybe if you want to make it a, a, a TV show instead of a movie, but uh, I mean, yes, God I know. damn, I, I want that movie. You bring in Cyclops and you have that um, that normal human 
character who and you have and then you you know who's kind of you see the world through his eyes the 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 crazy space adventures i don't know i think that's a good idea i do too yeah i'd love to see that so you know i I think it's hard to recommend a marvel movie because you know marvel's making them all but (laughs) (laughs) I, i i think that uh I think one thing I'd love to see in the Marvel Universe is a Nova movie. You know, we saw a little bit of the of the Nova Corps, but they were all just, you know, seemed like normal people piloting spaceships as opposed to, you know, Nova Centurions that we've seen in the comics. And I would love to see a Richard Ryder Nova uh, mm-hmm. on, the film, on the screen. Um, I really don't know that I've got a recommendation over on the DC side of things uh, because you know their their universe is, is still kind of developing. Yeah, I do have I do have one for you, Aaron, on the DC I, side of things. I do too. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm looking at this book that you purchased for me. Oh yeah. The Challengers of the Unknown oh, is yeah. I feel an unmined property. That could lend itself well to a, a, a film universe. And, you know, and then that's a great point because you know, Challengers of the Unknown uh, is really kind of a Fantastic Four book, right? Yeah. Um, and if I'm DC, because Fantastic Four has been so fucked up uh, by uh, Fox, I would totally lead with a Challengers of the Unknown uh, movie or a TV show. I mean, you could you could do either one of those things. But I, I really think that you could you could capture that Fantastic Four feeling that nobody has successfully captured in films. You know, so yeah, thank you, Paul. That that is a great idea. But you know, the, the, from uh, uh, other publishers, I think what I'd love to see is a Dreadstar movie. I, I think Dreadstar would be, would be a hoot and a half. And there has been, you know, I've seen news stories where it's been optioned for television. I don't think anything's happening with that because I've not seen any additional updates on it in almost a year. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think Dreadstar could be super entertaining on the screen. I, I, I would see that. Yeah. So, Tim, you, were, you, you had a DC recommendation as well. I do. Um, I think with the updates in... Um, computer-generated graphics, I think it might be time to return to the swamp, Paul. A little Vertigo Swamp Thing action. A Vertigo Swamp Thing, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's not like those Swamp Thing films were good. How would no. you How would you do that without Adrian Barbeau? <laughs> She's still alive. Oh, God. <laughs> she returns for her topless scene. No, I... <laughs> no, she plays Swamp Thing this time. <laughs> I just, I just feel like that's a character that is DC and creepy as hell and could work, you know. Yeah. And I just, I feel like they've, they've done so much better with stuff like that that they could make it, they could make it work. I'd agree. I would see that. I, I you know, I, I know for a while they were talking about that Justice League Dark movie, um, and I know it, it fell through, but I think, uh, you know, when Guillermo del Toro was working on it, it was going to include Swamp Thing. So I, I would like to see – I would see a Swamp Thing film. I, I think that's, Swamp Thing is a, is a great character. Yeah. That's sad the Justice League Dark movie fell through because J.K. Simmons is still pumping iron apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to be the most ripped Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Uh, he's going to break Peter Parker's ass is what he's going to Parker! <laughs> Snap. <laughs> so I would see I, I would see all these movies. But, you know, Aaron mentioned Dick Tracy. Out of all of them, yes, I would love to see Dick Tracy come back. He's one of my favorite comic book characters ever. Um, but it's never going to happen. Unmined properties, Hollywood. It's never going to happen. 
It's never going to, until Warren Beatty dies, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Paul's calling a hit out on Warren Beatty, apparently. Yeah, so I can finally get a goddamn Dick Tracy comic book and a Dick <laughs> Tracy movie. I, I'd like to watch that one again. I don't know how it would hold up. Oh, it, it doesn't. It Ooh. doesn't, but, it's, <laughs> okay. it, it is, but it holds up in that it is a product of its time. <laughs> and you can watch it and remember the time in which it was made. Hey, Paul, did you uh, check out Lord of Gore this week? What is that? That is also a book from Devil's Due. There is a free preview issue out there this week. Oh, no, I did not. Okay. It looks like it might be up your alley. Well, you know, it, it certainly sounds like it. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to talk about, Aaron's been trying to get us to sign up for this goddamn Comixology Unlimited thing since it started. It's unlimited, Paul. It's unlimited. There, there are no boundaries. There are boundaries. No, it's unlimited. It's right there in the name, Paul. They can't say it if it's not true. Well, it, but they don't have DC or Marvel. Okay. <laughs> limited. You're picking nits. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about is if you sign up for Comixology Unlimited, which I believe is $6 a month, um, but you can start with a free 30-day trial. Um, you know, they, they have a whole slew of IDW, Image, Dynamite, um, and other publisher, Valiant, Archie, um, other books. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to, to give you guys some recommendations if you want to sign up for Comixology Unlimited or have signed up and don't know where to start. So, uh, you know, Aaron, there's, it was your idea. Yeah. So I'm going to let you go first. Sure. There, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, I mean, there really is just a lot of great stuff, things that, that we have championed uh, on this podcast for years now. But one of the things that I was delighted to see is I'm a big fan of the uh, BPRD books, the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, which is a spinoff from the Hellboy books and really has become its own thing. You know, has, you know, Hellboy has, has, you know, is kind of over here on the side doing his thing and BPRD is doing their thing. And uh, they have the first major story arc, which, you know, runs for a really long time, uh, called uh, The War on Frogs, I believe. And that story wraps up and then leads into the next big storyline, which is Hell on Earth. And so I had read The War on Frogs. And now I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, Hell on Earth, and it's just fantastic. And one of the nice things is is that you know Hellboy and BPRD take place in the same universe, so when things are happening over in the Hellboy book, they reference them over in the BPRD book. And you know, so in, in this these more current storylines, when uh, you know right now Hellboy is dead and in hell. Uh, the storyline that preceded his being dead and in hell uh, affects things that are going on in the in the BPRD world. I just I thoroughly enjoy these books. Um, you know, it's the the storytelling, both visually and on the page, has that same Mike Manola level to it. Uh, you know, they they built their own mythology while taking elements from other mythologies. Uh, it's just a it's just a fantastic you know uh, current world just falling apart into Armageddon while giant monsters and Cthulhu creatures tear things up. It's just a fantastic book. I I, I love it. Highly recommend it. So Wayne, you had some recommendations. Yeah, and it's something I never thought I would have recommended a few years ago, but 
like one of you mentioned, there are a lot of Archie stuff out there. And one of the storylines on there is Archie marries. I've read most of that storyline. I've uh, borrowed it through here as well. And it is surprisingly good. It was one of their first takes on taking the Archie characters and let's continue to age them and let's tell a adult story with them. Not adult like Afterlife with Archie where it's, uh, you know, gratuitously violent and all that all that awesomeness. <laughs> but it is different types of stories where he's dealing with, you know, having to get a job and dealing with money problems. And you get to see both storylines of what if he married Betty and then what if he married Veronica? And those are completely different storylines. And his life goes drastically different depending on uh, who he's with. So the whole first volume of that is on here. Archie, the married life volume one that covers the first, uh, looks like six issues of Archie marries Veronica and Archie marries Betty. I'm more interested in, uh, if he marries Jughead, is that volume two? No. Oh, okay. It's coming to him. I'm sure it is. (laughs) All right, good. But for people that want something more horror related out of it, they also have the, uh, that new Sabrina series, yes. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is on here. Yeah, and, and then, Afterlife with Archie is on here as well. And you know, one of the things that I've been curious about on uh, Comicsology Unlimited is how frequently they'd be adding books, because like you know, Marvel Unlimited adds some amount of books every week, and sometimes it's you know twelve books, and sometimes it's a hundred books. Um, Comixology Unlimited uh, from launch had not at, and it's been out for almost a month now uh, had not added anything new which is understandable given the fact that you know you hadn't read every single uh, book in their in their library yet but they added 100 new books this week so it's nice to see that they do have some kind of plan to continue adding titles and so they did they added they added a bunch of new archie stuff so like uh they expanded their uh uh like for instance the afterlife with archie books are in there now uh so uh, lots of good stuff there. And I think I think one of the great things about Comixology Unlimited is that it doesn't require you to be online to read it. You can download the books and take them with you. And there doesn't seem to be a limit on how many you can download. There's a, there's yeah. a limit. I haven't hit it yet. Whereas I know when I was in Marvel Unlimited, they limited you to like 12 books you could download. And, yeah. and, and let me just add this real quick, Wayne. In the Marvel Unlimited app, there were all single issues, whereas you can get an entire volume. You can get a, an entire you know, trade paperback or omnibus edition downloaded to your iPad and read it all there. And there, Again, there there's, doesn't seem to be a download limit. It's pretty damn yeah. cool. So I had two other uh, quick recommendations to hit on. Yes, sir. Uh, we used to rave about Invincible. Yes. Especially the early Invincible. And they're up through at least volume four yeah. is what's on here. So you can get at least the first four trades on here and as well as individual episodes, or individual issues. And then one of my soft spots for nostalgia, Mage. Yes. Yes. There's a bunch of Mage the Hero discovered on here. Yeah, the Kevin Matchstick stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there there's so much yeah, the you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of nostalgic reading in there. Um, there are 
the books that we have been raving about over at Image, like my personal favorite, Lazarus, uh, the first couple of volumes are there. Uh, there's all, you know, you've got the, the Robert Kirkman Invincible. And one of the books that I never read, but is now on my iPad that I'm going to read, is Robert Kirkman's Tech Jacket. I've always been interested in that, but I've never picked it up. Uh, so there's all kinds of great stuff over there. So I, and what I would really love to hear what, uh, what you guys are reading over at Comixology Unlimited. And I'm talking to you, the listener, because I really don't give a damn what Paul or Tim is reading. But uh, I'd really love to hear from you, the listener. Like Tom over on uh, the site uh, gave us some feedback about DC Rebirth this week. So, uh, you know, would really love to hear what you're reading and what you're enjoying, what you're liking in both uh, Rebirth and over on Comixology uh, Unlimited and other outlets that you're reading. So very exciting stuff. So, Paul, what will we be reading next week? That's right. Well, um, if you are enjoying the Preacher TV series, DC Comics is releasing the absolute edition of uh, the first volume of Preacher. Uh, it is. It's. Uh, if you're not familiar with the absolute editions, they are oversized hardcovers, um, museum like art book quality things. Um, very pricey. It's 150 dollars, um, but they are gorgeous, gorgeous books. Uh, but a, a little bit more affordable. We have new issues of Aquaman, Batman, Future Quest, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, and Superman, as well as Justice League Rebirth number one and um, Flintstones number one. Uh, so we, we have some, some number one titles coming from DC as well. Sounds exciting. Very exciting. Uh, from Marvel Comics, uh, if you're following Civil War, there's a couple of tie-in issues coming out. Civil War Kingpin number one, Civil War X-Men number two. Uh, but most exciting for Marvel is the Empress number four from Mark Miller and Stuart Amonin that we have really been enjoying that series. Looking forward to issue number four. Yes. And if you are looking forward to the Doctor Strange movie, they are releasing a Doctor Strange prelude comic um, starting next week as well. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before we go, I do want to ask you, gentlemen, did any of you get tickets to see um, The Killing Joke on July 25th? I did. I, I did tickets. as well. I'm super excited about this. We are planning on it, yes. Yes, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys about it. Yeah, I haven't gotten mine yet, but I want to see where it's playing around here. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, we talked about merchandise earlier, but one more thing that I want to mention is that if you can't make it out to San Diego, which, shocker, for, you know, can, can most people make it out to San Diego for Comic-Con? Um, there are Diamond and Funko, I believe, released their uh, com- San Diego Comic-Con exclusives at Barnes & Noble uh, starting on July 21st. So if you if there's anything from those companies that you are excited about, Diamond has a, um, a, a line of Batman the Animated Series uh, statues uh, that are San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. I'm not familiar with what Funko has for San Diego Comic-Con, um, but they will be at Barnes & Noble starting on July 21st. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. There's so much exciting. So much exciting. Yes. All right, guys. We all have a good week. You too. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 